0: Thank you very much, and it is certainly a pleasure to be here this evening, and I want to thank Chazak, and I want to thank Emmett for bringing, us, uh, bringing me out, and uh, you know, the, uh, there was a comedian by the name of George Burns, he died right after he turned 100, but he was supposed to have a big birthday party like a week later. So they asked him. He says, "You're going to have a big birthday party, a big show. He's going to do a show when he's 100." He says, "What are you going to say?" He says, "I already have, I have this line planned for a long time." He says, "It's a pleasure to be here. At my age, it's a pleasure to be anywhere." Yeah, <laughs> and I certainly feel that way here this evening because I was supposed to be here a Thursday night in um, in November, um, a year and a half ago, and uh, that Thursday. Uh, morning, I woke up in such incredible pain with these terrible, terrible pains that wouldn't stop for so long that eventually uh, my sister-in-law called an ambulance, I went to the hospital, and they said, well, it's probably just indigestion, uh, but we'll do some tests and we'll have you on your way. I said, listen, I got a whole speaking tour here. You know, he says, no, no, don't worry about it, you know. So they did a CAT scan, they did an ultrasound, and they said, okay, well, it's your gallbladder and it's twice its normal size, it's infected, inflamed, we have to take it out. And I said, I can't, I have a lecture tonight in Queens. <laughs> so um, so they said, uh, you know, uh, yeah, but you don't understand, you're, you're going to collapse someplace, you know. I said, can't they just like drug me up with something and, you know, send me on their way, you know. And uh, they said, uh, no. So, um, so I called up the organizer. I said, "I'm sorry, I'm in the hospital. I'm waiting a uh, an operation." They said, "You mean you're not going to come?" <laughs> so it's nice to know that Chazak uh, cares about you
1: <laughs>
0: a lot more than they care about me. So uh, anyway, so I left my gallbladder in Rockville Center. That was an Tony Bennett song before he showed up with the one about it, I left my heart in San Francisco. So anyway, so. I, I always felt that there was a meeting for uh, for Destiny that I was meant to repeat. And so on this last trip, uh, emailed and said that I would be available. And uh, I have spent the whole day in such anticipation, waiting to see if I was going to be hospitalized again. <laughs> and Baruch Hashem, I'm here. So, so I'm happy to be here. That's all. And uh, thank you. And I have to tell you that, uh, you know, I, it's it's always an inspiration to me when you see how many people, especially on a Thursday night, it's the end of the week. There's so many things to take care of. You see so many people, hundreds of people, who manage to come out tonight. You know, and I'm always impressed by how many people have nothing to do. So <laughs> I, I'm glad you're here. If you're not going to do anything, let's do it together. So. Uh, so really, but seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm always honored and touched that people take the time to come and, and to hear. And uh, I will be dealing with a topic which is in fact very close to me right now, and I'll tell you why. Um, I wrote a column on Jewish education for a number of years in the Hamodia newspaper. And, um, and eventually I ran out of things to say. And... Uh, and uh, and then i kept writing for another year and uh, <laughs> that didn't stop me anyway but um, but after a while they said listen you know you've written so many columns let's put them on as a book I said that to me is not a book just to take a collection of articles and put it out as a book you know, it's not, it's not fair I'll have to rewrite it as a book on Jewish education and as I started to work on this book of child rearing chinuch right, as we say in Hebrew to raise a child, to educate a child I realized that really you can't talk about this topic unless you talk about marriage because the relationship between the parents is so incredibly important in how we're going to raise our children and then I realized there's no way to talk about marriage unless you talk about dating and uh, because your dating will very often affect the person you marry and um, (laughs) I'll give a minute for that one to move around the room because I see there seems to be a time delay here, anyway so um <laughs> so that's uh so I got on about dating. And then I realized if I'm gonna talk about dating, I have to move to an even more fundamental point. So right now the working title for the book is called Life. And um and I figured that should give me enough leeway to talk about anything I want. And uh you know, and it's a, it's it's uh, turning out to be quite a long book. And uh for Hashem. <laughs> if it's a short book and it's called Life, you know that's not too good. So um so we're really talking this evening, we're going talking, to talking, talk about dating and marriage, which is one of these issues that I've been writing about and uh, and lecturing about for many years. And um, and I want to start you off, and start you off with something that I'm not going to do. This is a story with, you know, just, just I'll tell you a story. I teach in the Ve'ru um after after the Sukkot holiday when I start my thing, I do a series on this love dating and marriage and I always start when we come to this with the same question and I'm not going to do it tonight but I always say how many people in this room plan to get married and every hand in the room goes up how many people plan to get married one day all the hands go up right I said how many of you plan to get divorced and all the hands go down and I said that's amazing. So you know about two-thirds of the people in this room are completely unrealistic because the divorce rate in America today is over 60%. So why, when a person gets married, how come two-thirds of you should have said, well, yeah, I'm getting married and I plan to get divorced, you know? I mean, you know, you know a marriage is in trouble when you start introducing your spouse as my first husband. You know what I'm saying? You know? No, and you're still married. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's, it's always a problem, you know? But... Uh, you know so of course everyone in the room said no that's it I'm not going to be the one I'll never get the worst. so why he says because when I get married I'm going to be in love I said everyone who gets married is in love you don't spend that much money on a night unless you're in love you know what I mean you make a big you get, get the whole white dress and you get the whole hall and you have all your friends so why are you getting married to this guy yeah I never really thought about him <laughs> you love him oh, he's okay I don't know You know, well, we'll give this a shot for a couple of years and see. You know, in fact, I'm getting married with a five-year contract, renewable option. You know what I mean? We'll take a look and see. After five years, we'll reevaluate. You know, if not, we'll just part. You know, I mean, that's all. The the contract ran out. You know, of course not. Everybody gets married thinking that this is going to be forever, right? Well, certainly girls do. There's nothing worse. For a guy to have to hear that expression i don 't know why, <laughs> because that very often because I teach in the veryish lines so i 'll be invited to a you know, an engagement uh, on the half of the on behalf of the wife you know to be on the uh, the lady's side and uh, i 'm standing up there in the dais with the other rabbis and right next to the new groom, you know, and I say it 's such a beautiful thing because you know marriage is forever, forever and ever and ever, and the sweat starts pouring. <laughs> Forever and ever and ever. <laughs> There's something a little frightening about that, you know. There's something there, you know, when a person when a person has to approach it from a point of view of, you know, I'm making a very important decision, and people say, "How do I know for sure this is the right one?" I'll let you in a little secret. You don't. You don't. You do not come with little stickers, barcodes, line them up, ding, it's a match. You know what I'm saying? It would certainly save us a lot of time. So we don't do it that way you know? and, and the reason for it I think is, is extremely important um, this is actually the Ben Yoda who explains this at the beginning of Gemara Kedushan he gives, he gives it as an example there was a rabbi in a large town and he was beloved, he was a tremendous scholar he was activist he had personality, gave very inspirational talks was involved in the lives of so many people but he was getting old As he was getting old, he realized he didn't have the power to keep doing the job as well as it should be done. Now, for most people, that's certainly no reason to leave a job just because I can no longer do it, right? But this guy was an honest guy, and he realized, my, my powers are waning, I'm really not going to be able to do the job properly, I would like to bow out gracefully, come out when you're on top, you know? So he asked permission from the town if he could leave and take a job in a smaller town, because I, I don't feel like I have the strength to do this job properly. So they said, sure, sure, the last thing we want to do is see you endanger your house, you don't have our permission. So said, you sure? Yeah. Okay, so he sends out his resume, and every small town is thrilled to be able to get a rabbi of this caliber, scholar, speaker, you know, someone who's so good working with people. So, you know, he looks around, decides the town where he's going to be able to retire and spend his last year's best, you know, and he signs a contract with them, you know, and that's fine. We make arrangements. Comes the day for him to leave town. The wagon is coming to take the rabbi and his possessions. And as it comes into town, it says, where does the rabbi live? They say, why? He says, well, I'm coming to take him away. I said, what? You're going to take our rabbi? Get him! And the whole town starts chasing the guy. Ah! And the guy says, oh, I can't believe this. He turns around. He runs out of town. They're throwing rocks at his wagon. You know, he gets out with his life. He's so happy he escaped, you know. In the meantime, the rabbi's standing with his luggage. doesn't know where the wagon is, you know? Sends a message, and he gets back this message. Well, we tried to come in, and they chased us out of town. He says, really? So he goes over to the town elders and says, hey, I thought you gave me permission to leave. He says, of course, rabbi. We don't want to see you endanger your health. He says, oh, because when the wagon came, they chased him out of town. He said, I don't know what happened. It must have been a mistake. Tell him to come back. Fine. The wagon driver comes back again slowly starts coming into town and someone says he's back get him ah! and they chase him and he turns his horse again and he runs around you know Rabbi rabbi's standing with his luggage you know <laughs> someone's going on sends a message the guy says it happened again so he calls to the elders and says okay what's going on here he says I don't know So says I want you to promise me you're going to let the carriage come in and no one's going to harm him well uh, it's hard to promise I want a promise from you i want to guarantee that you're going to let him come in okay fine I have your word yeah okay he comes in the third time clap Clop, clop, slowly the horse, he's going to the and everybody's lining the side of the street, screaming at him, MURDERER! You're stealing a rabbi thief! You low You know, the guy's like, okay, let me just get through town alive, you know, gets to the rabbi's house, puts in the luggage, and then he says, okay, let's go fast. You know what I mean? Everyone get it? So the rabbi gets in, his family gets in, and he calls all the elders, he says, tell me, why'd you do this? He says, I'll tell you why, rabbi, this was our parting gift. He says, I don't get it. He says, don't you know what's going to happen? no rabbi is always popular. You'll come to this small town and after a couple of years, you'll make a few enemies, people get a little set of you for something and they'll say, oh, this old guy, they just wanted to get rid of him in that big town and they stuck us with him, you know, and we had such a, you know, now we're stuck with this old jerk, you know what I mean? I can't wait till he either dies or his contract runs out we can get somebody else, you know. Oh. He says, I want them to always remember they had to fight to get you and they'll remember that. And so, so, ideally, we would think, as we sit down, you know, and we imagine what we want when we get married, what could be better than we sit down with our parents, and I say, okay, I'm ready now to get married. You sure? Yeah. I'm at this point in my life where I want to really get married. I'm going to start looking now seriously to get married. Fine. Next day, they knock on the door, you know, you answer the door, and there he is. He's there. And he says, hi, who are you? I am your
1: bascheette.
0: <laughs> I am your intended. I am your person who you were meant to marry. Where do I put my stuff? <laughs> so said, "Well, oh, one second, I, I don't understand. It's just one second. You still got your list, check. I look like what you wanted. I went to the right schools. I did this, I did that, everything's there. So when you want to get married today, tomorrow, you know what I mean? I'm available. <laughs> you know So we say we one, say one, one second, I want some say, what for? look at this you should thank me look how many nights sitting in a lounge drinking a diet Sprite I said <laughs> to you I used to say drinking a diet Coke and a girl said to me no Rabbi a diet Sprite I said why she because when you start dating you get your teeth whitened so you don't want to have a diet Coke it'll stain them
1: <laughs>
0: I on the other hand am too old to care <laughs> In any event so uh, so so it's so, we should get but why, says why does that not happen to us? Because the, the Prophet gives us that same gift that he gives to the to the town gave to the rabbi. Everybody has to know I worked to find you. I worked to find this guy, to find this girl. I, I, now and there's no marriage where there's gonna be no problems. Almost impossible unless medication is given out on a regular basis. There's no way that there's not gonna be problems in a marriage. Every marriage has problems. You take two people, and two people are different. They have different approaches to life. They have different ways of looking at things, different ways of communicating. Men and women see life completely differently. They express themselves differently. Everything is completely different. And and you don't always realize that. You know? So a guy will come home, and his wife will be waiting for him, like this. (laughs) And he'll say, Oh, is there something the matter? No. Oh, good you
1: know
0: and after about a half hour of the silent treatment he starts to realize you sure there's nothing wrong of course there is what is it if you loved me you would know (laughs) girls are sure that guys know we don't know nothing bad about that we just don't know we're just totally clueless I'm married, I, this, this, this June will be 26 years I'm of marriage you know, And my wife gave up already, she tells me what to say, you know, I say Oh, I see you had a hard day <clears throat> Oh, I see you had a hard day
1: <laughs> We don't understand
0: They don't teach us how to be emotionally supportive We're not emotionally supportive We're problem solvers We solve problems by putting nails in the wall Put a nail here, you have something to hang it on All your problems are gone, you know? Here's a classic newlywed fight, I can't tell you how many times I've heard some version of this when I talk to couples, you know, uh, the wife comes home, the husband comes home from work and the wife is there and she's close to tears and he says, what's the matter, you know, and she says, oh, I had such a terrible day and and, and, and you know, things are so terrible over at work and I have so many difficulties, there so many things I have to take care of and the house is falling apart, I have to take care of this, it's going to be up soon, I have to do this, I'm going to handle everything. And the husband says, no problem. And he pulls out a yellow pad and says, okay, let's make a list. It's just good scheduling. You know, we have to figure out, let's make a list what has to be done with that. And the girl bursts into tears and says, you don't love me.
1: <laughs>
0: and the guy can't quite figure out how we got to that conclusion.
1: <laughs>
0: because the girl could also take a piece of paper and write everything down. That's not the problem. The problem is that this is a feeling that I'm overwhelmed and therefore I'm worthless and I need to feel reassured. Every girl could figure that out. No guy to this day can figure it out. Even if you explain it to them, they can't figure it out. You know what I mean? And so I'll say it again. Right? So what you have to say is, sweetheart, don't worry. I love you anyway. I shall go. No, you don't. Yes, I do. I think you're wonderful. And now you have to list like reasons. You know, <laughs> got to come up with a reason. You know, you're um uh, punctual. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the reasons will be bad. So you know, keep listing. Eventually, you'll come up with one that might work. But you know. <laughs> And guys don't get it. They're totally clueless. They're like, they can't figure out what happened. You know, guys are always in trouble, and they never know why. You know, and they always work around say, "I don't know what I did. I don't know something I said, something I did." You know what I mean? That I don't understand it. You know, and and this idea that because people communicate differently, right? Um, uh, John Gray. Wrote the book "Men Are from Mars and Women Are from Venus." He was an expert on marriage. He knows much more about marriage than I ever will because he's been married four times. And <laughs> only been married once, so how much could I possibly know? You know That range of experience only comes with you know with lots of opportunities. But um, you know, he says, "Here's a common thing, and you can hear it all the time." You know, <laughs> it's always so funny when you hear it. You know, um, a woman says to a man. Could you take out the garbage? And he says, I could. (laughs) Now what's that? (laughs) No no one can figure out why he's playing these sick games with me. You know what I mean? Why can't you say, yes darling, it would be my pleasure. Because a guy hears, can you take out the garbage? Are you man enough to take out the garbage? Do you think you could do this? And he says, yes I can. Can't do, Captain. <laughs> he wants to hear, will you take out the garbage? But a woman doesn't say that because to her, taking out the garbage is not merely a statement of let's get the house clean. It's a statement of if you care about me, then you would take out the garbage for me. Could you do this for me? But he doesn't hear that. He's like, can you take out the g- <laughs> You can you take out the yeah yeah I can take out the garbage. No, what do you think? <laughs> so it's it's a whole different way of looking at a world. That's why if you ask the woman to do something, she'll say it'll be my pleasure. Of course it's not, you know. But what it means is I'm doing this as an expression of a relationship. Whereas to a guy, it's a question of accomplishment. There's something that has to be done. Problems have to be solved. Things have to be fixed. Drilled Things have to be drilled. Extension ladders have to be opened. You know what I mean? Um, uh, 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 well, well, things have to be plastered. You have to fix things. You know, in a very pragmatic, external way. And therefore, guys tend to do things more externally. And girls tend to do things more internally. And so therefore, men express themselves externally and women express themselves internally. Um, there was a... Uh, I'll a presentation on this once in a Seinfeld where in, um, which I don't watch but one time I was on the plane and I felt for educational purposes it was important it was like, <laughs> the sacrifices I make for my people
1: <laughs>
0: anyway, Jerry was describing some horrible thing that guys do to each other in gym class I don't need to go into details and, um, and Elaine is horrified And he says, well, don't girls do things like this to each other? And they said, no, we just annoy each other till we develop eating disorders. (laughs) You
1: know,
0: I got an email once, difference between guys and girls, you know, and they say, a guy can watch a football game with another guy for three hours without either one of them saying a word, and neither one thinks that the other one must be angry with me. (laughs) A girl can't do that. She's always thinking. What, is, what, is, what are they thinking? What are they, what, 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 you know, and all this stuff goes into it, you know? I actually heard this on the tape. Jerry Seinfeld once said, you know, he says, I bet you girls are wondering what we're thinking. What are we really thinking? I'll tell you. Nothing. <laughs> just nothing. We're just walking around, looking at stuff, you know? <laughs> you know, but women are thinking, click, 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 you know? So, so to be able to take... Two people, one of them being a woman and one of them being a man, and putting them together, it's, it's an absolutely miraculous event. This is These are two completely different beings from different planets, right? To be able to put them together, to be able to create. So there's going to be problems in a marriage, and therefore the dating is, is something that goes into it so that when we finally are so happy that we finally got there, you know, and I have to tell you, if you talk to people who've been looking around for a long time, you know, it's. Uh, I, I just try to reassure him. Obviously, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, the, the Lord, has somebody very special waiting for you. You know, He wants you to be, really be able to prepare it. You know, if you want to just have a bowl of cereal, you pull it out of the cabinet. You know, if you want to have something really fancy, it takes a long time to prepare. So obviously, Hakadosh Baruch is working much harder to be able to get you just the perfect thing. You know, and uh, and it takes it takes a lot of time and effort. And then hopefully, you appreciate it that much more when you realize all the effort that went into it. So so that's, that's all by way of introduction obviously to the, to the topic and when we talk about dating and talk about marriage so where do we start? what's the starting point? the starting point so um, I had a number of students um, in the yeshiva in Yerushalayim in Jerusalem called the Mir Yeshiva just a small yeshiva with about 3-4 thousand students and, um, and it keeps growing every year, it gets bigger and bigger. In fact, somebody told me, I'm thinking of going to the mirror. I said, you don't have to, just wait, it's going to come to you. you know, it's, it's just going to keep moving and buying up there. You know. soon, soon you'll be in the yeshiva without ever having moved. You'll be right there. Your house will become part of the dormitories. It's not a problem. You know? Anyway, so this was some years ago when it was, I guess, smaller. And a student came to me and he says, listen, I'm, you know, me and my friends are already dating. We're getting ready to get married. And uh, we really don't know what we're doing. No one's giving us any direction. I said, listen, the mirror is filled with so many, you know, staff people and wonderful people. He says, I know, we spoke to everyone and everyone says, no, we we don't have time or it's not our area. We can't do it. So would you give us some, you know, classes on, you know, dating and marriage? So I said, look, it's not really my place to. He says, I know, but there's nobody else. He says, and look, it helps you. I said, why? I said, because if we get married, we don't know what we're doing, and then we end up with problems. We're going to come to you for marriage counseling, and then you can't tell us no. So it helps you to get this done at the beginning so that we don't have so many problems later. I said, All right, that, that makes sense. You know? So he made it by invitation. There was about 12, 15 guys. And they came together. And I started them off with a trick question. I like to ask trick questions. Start them off. Throw people off balance right at the beginning. I said to them, why should you get married? Well, nobody was ready for that one. I shouldn't say nobody. One guy was ready. He raised his hand and he said, to give.
1: <laughs>
0: and he stopped and like looked around the room. Like...
1: <laughs>
0: he was so impressed with himself. He, he obviously had written a book or something. wrote, 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 wrote a book on the subject or something. Uh, to give. <laughs> you know? so I said why there's no one you can give to in the mirror can't you young- learn with a younger student can't you clean up the apartment why you have to get married to give he was devastated <laughs> it took him so long to get that question down and to say it with so much sincerity you know he was devastated so now they, they're stuck you know I said well the rest of you you tell me you're already dating you're already getting married why should you get married so the guy says well um to have children I said, okay. So basically, you're going to look for a girl of strong peasant stock. Who <laughs> will bear many strong children? <laughs> look, a son. <laughs> so
1: another guy says, well, it's
0: a mitzvah. I said, well, it's a mitzvah, so you'll have an easy time. You know, you'll marry the first girl, because otherwise it's Bittol Torah, you know what I mean? I don't want to waste my time. And he moves, I'm the kind of I'm saying, Here's the ring, I'm going back to the base medjush. I don't want to waste my time. You know <laughs> so somebody else said, well, there's so much for people to do, you can't do it by yourself. I said... Um, you know, if you hire a personal assistant by the hour, it'll be cheaper. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? I just met this lovely girl. She's a lovely girl from Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, she was at my house. And uh, she's looking to get married, you know? And she says, I'll never forget, you know, when I told my father I wanted to get married, you know, me and my sister, we both of so We want to get married. And he says, okay, but just remember, you girls are expensive. <laughs> You're high maintenance. You, know, so you better find someone rich. And she didn't necessarily disagree with that assessment. So... Um, <laughs> So if you hire somebody by the hour, even if you give them benefits, it works out cheaper. You know what I mean? So one guy gave the best answer, which was, my parents are making me. And I thought that was cut straight to the part of the matter. So, um, So finally somebody said, okay, what's the answer? I said, I'll tell you, but I want you to take a moment just to realize that here you guys are already dating, you're already ready to get married, and not one of you could give me a coherent reason why. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people, why are you getting married? They have no idea why. they don't know why. So now, as we say in L'chad Odi, Self Ma'asev Right? In order to have a successful action, you have to first think about it beforehand. Right? If you do things without thinking about it, then afterwards you end up with a situation that you have to now undo it and start again from scratch and, you know... The Belt Parkway. The Belt Parkway, they built it so quickly in the 1930s because they were worried about losing funding that the grade was off. And so for years there was terrible flooding on the Belt Parkway. If you had worked that out at the beginning, life would have been much easier, right? But uh, but people don't think ahead. People don't realize what am I going to do when, when I hit this situation? What's going to be then? Where are things going to go? So you have to. Think what my goals are. Where am I going? Therefore, before you get married, the first thing you have to know is, what do I want to accomplish when I get married? And it sounds like a strange way of looking at it. It sounds, you know, like uh, almost mercenary. What do I want to accomplish? But it means if you want to have a successful marriage, you have to know that the two of you are coming from the same place and going to the same place, Right? Take a dramatic example. It doesn't come up so often, but it's a dramatic example. Right? Um, how do most people meet? I'll meet at a party, meet at a bar, you know, some place. Two people will see each other. Some enchanted evening. You will see a stranger across a crowded room. And you look at this person, you say, There's a person that I share life goals with. <laughs> now, I have to tell you the truth. Across a crowded room, you really can't see life goals. You know, unless they're wearing a t-shirt that has it all spelled out on them. You know what I mean? But if not, what you're basically seeing is I find this person attractive. And then I'll go out. And so very often, it, it may not last too long because there may not be anything else there in common. Right? the guy in Orsamech came in one day and he said I went out with this girl last night what an airhead oh she was so dumb I can't believe it you know what I mean this is the kind of person who thinks that the Mexican border pays rent you know what I mean like you know (laughs) I mean dumb you know what I mean you know so I said so you're not going out I said so why'd you go out with her because she's gorgeous I said oh so you're not going to see her again he says why not <laughs> I said, well, there's nothing there. I said, there's nothing there long term, but for short term, it's good enough.
1: <laughs>
0: I thought that was nice, warm and fuzzy. So, um, so okay. So you see that now. Let's say you go out and you find somebody very attractive and they're also personable, and you have a nice time, and you go out, and you're having a wonderful time, and it could be that as this goes on, you'll fall in love, and now it suddenly comes out, and you didn't know about this. I don't know how this never came out because it's so important to me. One of the most important things to me is the environment. You know, preserving, you know, biosphere one, making sure that the earth is secure, you know, anti-pollution, stuff like that, you know. Anyway, we go out And I didn't know this about her, that um, she likes to dump toxic waste. (laughs) Her parents own the factory, and uh, we went for a picnic, and she brings a couple barrels of toxic waste and pour it into the natural waterways where we were sitting. And I said, how could you do that? She says, well, it's in my family, you know, we've always done that, you know. I said, but that's horrible, you know, about all the economy, you know, uh, the environment, what about all these things, because... Oh, Listen, you know, yeah, we have different approaches in life, you know. So now you sit down and you say, Why well, am I know, I'm going to break up with this wonderful girl just because she's a polluter? Well, I don't know, you know. I really should have thought about this beforehand, but it's too late now. I wish I had thought about it, you know. Okay, so what do you do? You know, you're compromised. So she, you know, poisoned the you know, thing, and I go downstream and clean it up, you know. What I mean? like, you know. <laughs> so you don't break up a good, successful marriage just because of something like that, and I, Okay, okay. Now that doesn't come up that often, I have to tell you, you know what I'm saying? But uh, here's one that does come up very often and that is I meet people who are either intermarried or about to become intermarried and I say to them isn't your Judaism important to you and they say yes and I said then why are you getting intermarried and they say to me Rabbi I wasn't planning to get intermarried I never would have so what happened I was just dating this guy and um, I didn't think anything would come of it and then I fell in love it's not my fault so what should I do now it's not my fault I fell in love I break it off You know? I mean, Rabbi, I'm in love. I shouldn't break it off. So forgetting about how we respond to that, but this much is clear. If you started dating, understanding what I believe in and what's important to me, that wouldn't happen. Right? So, okay, but let's say a person is important to them to make sure they don't intermarry. Right, So they'll go to their college, you know, Jewish organization. They'll go to a Hillel. They'll go whatever. And they meet a nice person. But the person isn't Shomer Shabbos. And I am Shomer Shabbos. Right? And then they fall in love. I met three families like this. We have one spouse that's Shabbos and the other one isn't. You know how I got involved? Because the kids are a total mess. You know, they don't know what to do. Father comes home from shop this morning, you know, wants to sit down and eat lunch, you know, and mom pulls out the car keys. Come on, we're going to the mall. Who wants to go to the mall? I'll put your face on a mug. You know what I'm saying? You know? And the kid's like, oh, uh, Dad, I don't know what to do. And he says, that's okay, you guys go, I'll, I'll stay here by myself. <laughs> he sits at the table with his grape juice and two little challah rolls and starts singing Yom kol to an empty room. <laughs> what are you going to do, break up a whole marriage over something small like Shabbos? <laughs> and so it goes and people start off and say, you know so you have people who are like idealistic and they want to go out and help and do great things in the world and another, they marry someone who is grossly materialistic and only wants money and now another guy gives up all of his idealism or the girl gives up her idealism in order to be able to help make money so that they have money because that's what's most important but why wasn't that clear before you got involved because people don't even know what they want we know people don't know what they want because we read personal ads right when you know we, we don't brag about it, but we read them sometimes merely for entertainment. You know what I mean? And you see things like, "Do you enjoy skiing and Chinese food?" Mm-hmm. No, I me mean, it's good. Yeah, I'm married 26 years. How much time do you spend eating Chinese food? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or skiing? You know what I'm saying? So if you live in the Alps, or if you live in the Chinese mountains, I suppose you do a lot of skiing and eating Chinese food. You know what I mean? You know? <laughs> Running away from earthquakes. You know what I'm saying? You know? <laughs> but other than that. Do you like walking romantically on beaches? Well, I was walking romantically on beaches. When do you have time to walk romantically on a beach? What do you do for a living? <laughs> what do you? What do you go around with a metal detector looking for stuff? I mean, I like, get you know, walk romantically on beaches, and people think this is the basis for a marriage. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know? Remember that? song? no! You of course you don't remember that. song. there was a song from the eighties. I'm frozen in time. I moved to Israel in the mid-80s and then that's it. I know nothing after that. You know, you know It's like, do you like pina colada? Getting caught in the rain? Yeah. There's a basis for a long-term relationship. I guess you'd have to live on some Caribbean island that's constantly being flooded, you know what I mean? You know? But this is, people put emphasis on such silly things. Let's face it, the skills that make somebody a good date does not necessarily make them a good spouse. You know? Because we go out on a date, you know, and the guy is in like date mode, you know? And the girl is sitting there like going, you know? That's ridiculous. Go out to date to some married person's house and clean up after Shabbos. That's already a good date. You wash, he dries.
1: <laughs>
0: but the skills that make for somebody a good spouse why do to look for that. because Why? Because we're looking to have a good time. And if we have a good enough time, then we figure we'll get married, and the good time will keep going. But there's nothing to do with reality. So what do you want to do? What do you want to do in your family? What do you do in your children? How do you want to raise them? How many times I see people they have kids, and when the kids are ready to start school, they realize they never figured out what kind of a school they want their kid to go to? You know? So the girl wants her to go to some kind of progressive school and the guy wants her in Bet Yakov. Because
1: <laughs>
0: Yes, this has been a word from our sponsors. In any <laughs> now why did you work that out beforehand? Nobody's thought about it beforehand. How come nobody talked about these things? Why? Because we were busy having a good time. We went, on, we went on a date, miniature golfing. Well, there's a skill that'll help you later in life. <laughs> that's important. Yeah, make sure and do that. Make sure and go to long movies. You know what I mean? So then you can talk about it afterwards. Oh, what did you think about that? I did not know. I couldn't follow the whole thing. You know I mean? Oh, let's go have a cappuccino. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, that's it. There's a good basis for a long-term relationship. You know? Because people don't know what they want. And then they suddenly realize, after they get married, that slowly they drift apart. And they don't even realize it, because they didn't know what they wanted in the first place. So how do they realize now that we're not where we want to be? Because they didn't know what they wanted to be in the first place. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. You know what I mean? And then suddenly you find yourself someplace, and you say, what am I doing here? I didn't want to be here, so how'd you get here? Because I didn't think about it. And suddenly I, we find ourselves, and you wake up one day, married to somebody, and you say, what are we... You know, what are we doing here? You know, I want this, she wants that. We are so different. We want different things in life. That's because when they first made the decision to start dating, they didn't know what they wanted. Okay. Read books. Read secular books on marriage. It's it's a worthwhile experience, right? And you will find that what I'm about to say is more or less correct. What is a successful secular marriage? I have my needs. You have your needs. I want to have my needs met, you want to have your needs met. Right? So each one of us now have to get married and learn good communication skills. How I can express my needs and you can express your needs. And then how I can make sure that your needs are met and my needs are met. And we work together and we compromise and we work things out to make sure that our needs are being met. Right? Okay. Now, when there's a chasin and shul, uh, there's uh the, the prevailing menog is that we don't say Tachman right uh, I'll I'll translate that when there is a chatan at the Beit Knesset the <laughs> minhag, the menhag ha-mekubal uh, 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 I don't know what the word is you know katova <laughs> <laughs> katova Um <laughs> yeah is that uh, we don't say apai. yeah we don't uh, we don't do the Tachman thing yeah we don't say that prayer Why? Because you don't say that when there's a simcha. When there's any kind of a public holiday or celebration, we don't say that. Now let me ask you a question. A guy comes into shul and he says, oh, no tafan today. He says, why? Oh, last night I went out to dinner and I had a steak like I never had in my life <laughs> it was the way I like it, well done but juicy, you know what I mean normally when it's well done it becomes out like shoe leather and I can't have it when it's red because I feel like it's blood, you know what I mean, I like it well done but juicy, it was just perfect and everything was perfect and then I went and I sat in the bath and then I had a massage ah, oh, all my needs were met so let's skip top <laughs> now I know certain chasinish rules where that would work <laughs> Because all you have to do not to say Tachlin is to pause. <laughs> and that's it. Is Oh my. Yeah? I don't know why. It doesn't take that long to say Tachlin. I don't know why, but there's such an excitement when you don't have to say Tachlin, you know? <laughs> Now, again, I don't know if this translates into the Swadic world. You know, in the Ashkenazic world, you know, we, we, I, I, when I go to Swadic shuls, it's just absolutely amazing. They don't even know how to daven fast. It's, it's just not part of their culture. And everybody's chanting, they have no place to go, nothing to do. 45 minutes to an hour, they chant and they chant and they chant. The Ashkenazim have been home having a bagel already for a while, you know, uh, the Svadim are still chanting and chanting. I don't know, you know? It's a whole different culture. And everybody chants together, you know what I mean? You know, It's really a very special experience. I wish I had more time to spend in Svadim's shoes. But, um... <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's a longevity thing. I think Spartum lives longer. We Ashkenazim know our life is a little shorter. We got it down and fast. We, <laughs> we want to fit everything in. But anyway... <laughs> but, um... Be that as it may, the, um... Uh, you know, you don't say Tachlan, right? Now, why don't you say Tachlan if a is there? Right? Why? Because he worked out an arrangement with a woman where the two of them will now make sure that their needs will be met. Who cares? Therefore, I shouldn't say Tachlan. Right? It's a much deeper idea. And if you understand this idea, that brings us back to the beginning. Um, I should point out, for those of you who don't speak Long Island, I have a uh, severe Long Island accent. And people have asked me, is there really an R at the end of the word idea? But, um, <laughs> yes, there is an R at the end, and there is an A at the end of the word river, in case you're not familiar. so I was, I was teaching, I was about giving, saying river. No one knew what I was talking about, you know I mean? It's a river, you know, what long things are come gonna... out. <laughs> Anyone know what a twack is? It's what a twang twabbles on. But in any event... <laughs> I have no pride in any event if it gets all the way up I'll go for it but anyhow yeah but um, <laughs> so so I'll go back to my original story and, 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 and this I think answers everything so finally these students in the mirror they said to me okay so what's the answer why do you get married so I said there's a general rule which you should always know yeah our enemies understand us a lot better than we understand ourselves. If you read what uh, the you know, sages write about Pyro, about Haman, they knew. <laughs> you can go to modern times, the Nuremberg Wars, you know. They knew. Tunis Rufus, yeah. Th- these, these historical enemies of the Jewish people, they knew where the strength of the Jewish people comes from much better than we do. In general, they know much better than we do. We we don't appreciate, you know, um, the power that we have in so many areas, you know. Bilaam. Bilaam, the non-Jewish prophet, wants to curse the Jewish people out of existence. So here they are, they come out of Egypt. He obviously has certain prophetic powers and certain abilities. God allows him these powers. He tries one time, two times, to curse the Jewish people. He's not successful. The third time, he gets on top of a mountain. He looks over the congregation and he says The following. It was turned again into a blessing. He looks over at the homes and he says, How good are your tents, meaning your homes. Look how good are your homes, Jewish people. They are the Mishkan of Israel. Mishkan is the tabernacle. Mishkan is like the Beit HaMikdash, the temple in Jerusalem. It's the place that's built where the divine service is done, where everything goes. This is, this is where the service takes place. It's the, the, the synagogues we have today are only a reflection of what really was there. With the, we're still waiting for the Beit HaMikdash to come, that we'll have it once again. But the Mishkan was the first one of it. And he said, Look at your homes, Jewish people. Everyone is a Mishkan. Meaning, so that you understand this. Meaning. Most people, they have a central temple. They have central central authorities. They have a capital. They have, uh, you know, places, seats of power. Destroy the national institutions of a people and the people crumble. But what can I do about the Jewish people? Every single home is a Mishkan. Every home is a tabernacle Every home is a temple The Pesach Seder Is the highlight of Passover Not the service that takes place in synagogue The Hanukkah menorah you light in your house Is more important than the one you light in the synagogue You know, The, the, the center of all Jewish life is the home The synagogue is, is uh, secondary to the Jewish home Everything goes there in the home. Everything is supposed to be there in the home, if we understand it. Bilam understood that. And if you understand what a home is supposed to be, then you understand this is the holiest place that there is. Right? Yitzchak. First Jewish boy looking for a nice girl to marry. So Eliezer comes back from Haran. He went on a journey to find a wife for Yitzchak, Abraham's son. And he says, oh, do I have a girl for you? Well, did I find a girl. Let me tell you about her, Yitzchak. She's beautiful. Beautiful, clearly. And she's virtuous and nice and kind. She runs around getting water for all the camels. What a sweetheart, you know? And look how she's dressed. She's so modest. She's so honest. She's so, oh, gosh. Not only that, miracles to place. I saw miracles. And he starts to list the miracles that happened, and none of this is Yitzchak impressed with—not with the miracles, not with the night, and all this stuff. He says, "Have her step into my mother's tent, because when my mother was alive, the miracles of the temple took place there. There was always a cloud overhead. The bread that she begged stayed warm for an entire week, just like in the temple. You know, the um, uh, you know, the, the, the miracles of the temple took place there. Let me see." if she comes into my mother's home and those miracles return because I'm not looking for a nice girl I'm looking to build a mishkan I'm looking to build not a apartment, not a home but something that is filled with sanctity where two of us are working together, to, that only the two of us together can build this Ay. which means, and this is something that every Jew understood you know we don't say Tachman because it's a public celebration when a, a Jewish man or a Jewish woman get married because we understand that they're building the base of HaMikdash we understand that they're building a place of holiness we understand the continuity of the Jewish people is in that home and the Jewish people are only as strong as their homes, make no mistake about it. And if the Jewish home collapses, then everything goes with it. doesn't matter how strong your schools are, doesn't matter how strong your synagogues are, if you don't have a strong Jewish home, strong Jewish marriage, strong Jewish kids. You know, a place that's filled with warmth and beauty and holiness. And the Jewish people crumble. And that's what Billam understood. And so what does Billam turn around and do? He says, listen, guys, there's only one way to do this. You want to destroy the Jewish people? Forget it. You're not going to curse them. You're not going to make war against them. Send the daughters to seduce the Jewish men and that's the only way you're going to defeat them. And he was right. Came along a plague and that plague almost destroyed the entire Jewish people. If Pinchas hadn't stood up at that point and stopped the plague, we would have all been destroyed. Of course, if you lose the holiness of the Jewish home, you lose everything. If I know that going into it, then I'm not looking to get married to somebody because they like skiing and Chinese food. I'm going out to movies. Sometimes I have to do marriage counseling. It's a terrible thing. I have no qualifications. I try to get out of it. But on rare occasions it happens. Somebody says, okay, I've been to three counselors and two rabbis and a Kabbalist. You know what I mean? And that's it. I don't know what to do anymore. We're on our way to the baked in, to write the get. You know what I mean? You can't make things any worse. We're, we've, got, we've got to get divorced. Do you want to see us? It's okay. So in all the times I've done this, there was only one couple that I lost that didn't, that didn't you know, I wasn't able to, to work out their problems. And one, that I told him to get divorced. They didn't listen to me. They should have. Later, they later they got divorced after he left her, you know, abandoned her for years. But, but, uh, but I told him to get divorced because I sat down and said, "Okay, so tell me what's good about your wife." <laughs> I was like this long pause. Finally, says she's beautiful. It's okay. Anything else? She's a good cook. Anything else? Another long pause? No. Nope. I said, so what do you guys do besides eat? You know? We watch DVDs. I said, that's not the basis for a long-term re- you know, a relationship. You know, Maybe if you're like uh, you know, Ebert, you know what I mean? That you can find somebody and re- watch movies all day and write reviews. You know what I mean? But that's not a marriage. There's nothing here. What am I supposed to save? There's not a marriage to save. Because when they got married, they didn't. The two of them didn't sit down and say, "Why are you getting married? Why are you getting married? What do you want out of life? What do you want out of life? What do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish? Where am I going? Where do you see yourself fifty years from now?" We get married because we're building a mishkan. We're getting married because we're building something holy in the Jewish people. So this couple married for four years. This is one of the couples that had ordered them through a bunch of counselors. They were going to get divorced, and uh, and I met with them. After the first two or three sessions I got them to stop hurting each other. That was a big thing. Because only a husband and a wife can hurt each other that badly. They know each other's weak spines. They know just what to say. Just to go get you <laughs> kill you, you know. So okay, so I had to like get everybody okay, let's stop hurting each other, let's play nice boys and girls, you know what I mean? Like, you know I, and slowly I was able to work the relationship up to nothing. <laughs> so
1: so
0: now we're ready to move forward. I said, okay, you're married four years, and 21 years will be your 25th wedding anniversary, which your parent, which your children will plan for you, you know, and make for you, after you work out all the details and pay for it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because kids can't figure this out. So you'll have to make sure to write out the guest list and leave it someplace, and I mean, you'll see the charges coming on your credit card, but you have to look surprised when you walk in anyway. Oh, my God. And here I thought I was coming to the catering hall tonight just to see Aunt Emma. You know, who would have guessed that it was a surprise party for me? So, uh, fine. So, I'm sure people will make wonderful speeches about you. What do you want them to say about you and your wife after 25 years of marriage? And he said that they were able to work out their problems without outside help.
1: <laughs> and
0: she said that they worked well together. And he said, you know, that uh, they were they were efficient, you know, stuff like this, you know. I said, this is not a marriage you're describing, it's a business partnership, you know what I mean? Sammy and Maxie, they solved all their problems themselves, they worked out everything, they worked so well together, Sammy did the buying, Maxie did the selling, you know, <laughs> even when they bought the building, they didn't get a lawyer, they worked it out together, they're so good, they work so well together, look at the beautiful business they built. I said, is that what you want them to say? So he said, well, what should it be? I said, you wanted to say that they built a home that was a mishkan? They built a home that was a place of holiness, that when you walked in there, you knew you were in some place special. And when I told this over to them, the way I told it over to you tonight, they paused and they looked at each other. And he said, I used to feel that way. And she said, I used to feel that way too. And he said, what happened? and I said, I'll tell you what happened you <laughs> what happened was the two of you started off with knowing that you were going to try to accomplish something great and then you decided to make a major issue out of who did the dishes or well, who took out the garbage, why do I have to do it why don't you do it 50-50, 50-50 that is the greatest way to destroy a marriage Just make it 50-50 did you ever have to sleep in a bed with someone and try to share the blanket 50-50 <laughs> It's a constant tug of war. Nobody gets anywhere. Fifty, fifty. Psychology Today did a study on um, people who are married a long time, fifteen years. Yeah, what makes a successful marriage? <laughs> but, you know, I used to give that over as you know, as a left one, and, and then people are like, Yeah, yeah, fifteen, yeah, that's a long time. That's pretty impressive, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I used to ask. I said, "People who married a long time, how long?" You know. So now I get the answer: five years. I was like, well, "No, fifteen years! Wow, that's one for Paul Harvey." You know what I mean? Fifteen years. You know, uh, I'm in married fifteen years. That's me. And now, page him. Anyway, so uh, no one has any idea what I'm talking about. I,
1: <laughs>
0: I have so much credibility; it doesn't matter. You'll laugh even if you have no idea what I'm talking
1: about. <laughs> Somebody told me
0: once in one of my talks, and I tell the joke. and the person's going, I don't get it. And the person in the next room goes, I don't either. But they know if I said it, it must be funny, even if you don't get it. The Chisar isn't you, you know? That's why sometimes my kids will say to me, "Ah, Abba, it's not funny. I said, I'll tell you You what's funny. I get paid to say what's funny. Don't you tell me what's funny, you know? So now they ask me, is this funny? Yeah, okay. ah! <laughs> in any event, 15 years, what makes a successful marriage? Here's the answer. The number one answer, what makes a successful marriage? Long-term successful marriage. They, most people said, I went in expecting to give 80% and get 20%. That's how I went into marriage. And you know the reaction I get so often when I say it today? So you're supposed to be taken advantage of? That's, that's how we look at it. If I do 51 and you do 49, I'm being taken advantage of. Mommy Freya, you understand? You
1: know?
0: I, well, I should do this, I should do you know. There's some places where they, they draw up prenuptial contracts of what I was going to do. You know, Honey, could you do the dishes tonight? Well, you know, sweetheart, I did it already three times this week, and that's what it says in the prenuptial agreement. <laughs> Only three times, you know? I know, honey, but I was in that car accident, and both my legs are broken. And... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, in fact, there's a rider over here for this such sort a of situation. Uh... Oh, yeah, it says, uh, if I do it now, so then when you get better, you have to take out the garbage for two months, okay? Oh, no problem. I'll just sign initial this over here, you know what I mean? That's the way you go into it. people don't get this. People don't realize the opportunity, you know? I had a woman who was a tremendous intellectual, and uh, she got married to a rabbi, and uh, slowly she slipped into the role of Rebetzin and doing housework and things like that. And she came to Israel for the summer with her husband, and she was taking classes in the Vayu Shalai. And she asked to meet with me, and she says, I feel so fulfilled when I'm taking classes, and when I'm doing housework, I don't find any spirituality or any meaning in it. It's something that's empty. So I said, let me ask you a question. Right? The Kohan in the temple, right? The Kohan, the priest, the base of Mikdash, right? The temple. What did they do? They did housework. They sifted the flour, they kneaded the dough, you know, they uh, roasted the meat, you know those of, you of us who have been to Israel, they even did sponge says, you know, they stopped up this little stream, and they flooded it, and washed it off, you know what I mean? They took care, they did housework, you know? I said, it wasn't the actions that were inherently holy, they didn't sit and meditate, they did housework, but what made it holy was the fact that they understand because I'm in the temple, I'm in the of Mikdash, I'm, I'm a Kohen. I'm doing something important, we forget that our home is a place of holiness. So she says to me, well how am I supposed to focus on that when I'm looking at a sink full of dishes? I said, why is a sink full of dishes any less holy than washing the innards of a cow in a bucket? <laughs> and that is holy. Mm-hmm, there's the Kohan. I'm washing shiamalos. I'm washing the bucket. In the bucket with the full of guts on the cow. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Why? What makes it holy? What makes it holy is if we know we're doing the service in the temple. And. I don't know if you've ever heard this one, right? A lot of kids, you know, that grow up, to hear this one. Don't sit on the table, it's a mizbeach. You understand? Know the table is an altar. Don't sit on the table, right? So it's not just a cute observation. It means that when we sit down to dinner, you know, and the family sit down to eat, those are the kohanim who are offering the offerings up on the temple, on the altar in Jerusalem. I'm doing something holy, I'm doing something special. This is not just nothing, this is not just busy work. It's, I'm imbuing this with the holiness and my home is a holy place and everything that I put into it. Ay. But we don't understand this. And therefore, when we get ready to get married and we go into you know, the process, we have to first know what do we want. And you have to be very honest with yourself. And you have to know what kind of a home do I want to build? Do I want to build a home that's traditional Jewish? That means that I'm making a mishkan. and it's a place that's filled with holiness. Or well, do I want to make a place that's, you know, me getting my needs met, and if I decide that somebody else can meet my needs better, so I get divorced, take somebody else, you know, move on, because I'll have a better time, you know? But that's sad. That's sad. And the reason it's sad is because we never went into it with the right understanding in the first place. So that's the first thing. Before a person wants to get married, you have to know what do you want out of life? What kind of home do you want to build? What do you want from your kids? I those, people are so incredibly you know, contradictory. I find people doing certain things, and I say, What would you do if your kid did this? I'd kill him. <laughs> so, how come it's okay for you? Oh, ah, it's different. Why? Ah, it's, it's hard to explain. <laughs> you bet it's hard to explain. You know what I mean? Because you, know, you know this is not what I want to be, this is not what I should be. That's why you find very often parents have the worst time with the kids who remind them of themselves. Because they see those, oh, their own failings. And they're so, you know, you meet, meet these parents who tell their kids, you're going to be a doctor because I never had a chance to be a doctor. So you're going to be my doctor. <laughs> and I never got to be. You know, or you're going to do this, or you're going to do that because I never did. And I'll live my life through you. That's so sad. Kids are not there for us to live our lives through. You know, there's something that's entrusted to us with the obligation to help them grow into the best possible people that they can. And that's something that we have to do. It's a sacred trust. You know, my wife has a friend who, who told her this amazing insight and I think it's so beautiful. The goal of parenting is not to raise good kids. The goal of parenting is to raise good adults. And that's really the truth. You know, you have to, you're investing time. and It's not for me. It's not about me. You know, I'm embarrassed by this kid, or I this, or I was that. It's not about me. It's about helping the person become the best person they can become. So, once you know what my goal is, then you're only going to go out with people that share those goals. Because what do you do if you go out with somebody who, you know, and the example of the people who intermarried, you know, you go out with somebody who's, uh, who's not Jewish, and you say, well, you know, nothing will come of it. And then when you fall in love, what do you do? What do you do? So you could break it off then, but it's much harder. i break your heart. Why put yourself through that? Why you even try to put yourself through that? When you know that you're ready to get married, then you you know that you know what you, you you don't start looking to get married until you know what you want out of life, and then you try to find people who have the same things that you want out of life, and those are the people that you're going to date. And assuming that the people are intelligent and attractive, you know what I mean, and you you enjoy them, and you know you want the same things out of life, then now you're ready to sit down and make a commitment. Now you're ready to get married. Now, now the challenges begin. The two of us are going to learn how to work together. It's not easy. That's not easy. And one of the things that we try to do right at the beginning, you know, uh, those of us who are parents, or in-laws, and I get to be both, Right, so we know one of the things we try to do is as much as possible interfere in our children's lives and decisions, so that this way the happy couple feels closer together because they know they have no one to depend on but themselves. You know what I'm saying? And this is a beautiful thing. <laughs> and there's no way around it. There's no way around it. You know, um, there there are, you know, there, as I mentioned, there are parents who live through their children. I, there's one girl I knew who wanted to go to Stern College. I went to meet with her father, you know, and her father said, you know, I went to Cornell and my daughter's going to Cornell. I said, she doesn't want to go to Cornell. He says, so what? I said, what do you do? Drag her there and hold her down in the seat? says, if I have to. I said, because I went to Cornell and she's going to Cornell and that's it, you know. And there are people who take this, you know, you'll have to live here or you have to live there or you have to do it this way or you have to do it that way. They have children, you know. Pesach Kron tells a story, you know, that, uh, they, you know, that both sides wanted them to name you know, the child for their side, you know, they had a baby. And pe- he calls up Pesach Krum, the the Mile and says, I don't know what to do. I says, why? He says, because uh, my father-in-law came to me yesterday and says, no, no, no. The baby came to me and told me that he wants to be named for my father. You know what I'm so, 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 so Pesach Kroon said, tell him to come and tell me, because I'm the Mile, so I'll know. <laughs> said, you know, I... Uh, it's it's so amazing, you know. There's an old expression about how to be a good in-law. You know, keep your mouth shut and your and your uh, and your uh, wallet open, right? You know, <laughs> my son-in-law always reminds me about that expression. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and
0: uh, the truth of the matter is that it's the two of you who have to, you know, decide. You know, respect and listen, etc etc et, cetera, et cetera, But ultimately, you're going to have to. You know, and there's lots of people who are going to be there to make you feel stupid. Oh, you, you, your child's not walking yet? Oh, Mine was walking already two months ago. Maybe you should take him for therapy. Oh, I'm surprised he's not speaking. He's already a year. My son, the year was already translating into Latin. <laughs> I was once gonna write a baby book called My Kids No Different Than Yours. You know what I'm saying? Eventually they're all talking and walking and and, you know and breaking things and it doesn't really make a difference, you know what I mean? But uh, you know there's always gonna be somebody there to make you feel like you're a bad parent or you're stupid or you're irresponsible. And you might be. You know what I'm saying? Could be. And if it's a valid point, then you have to really consider it. And if it's not, then you have to know what you think is right and to be able to bring your kids up in the best possible way. So I stopped writing this column for Hamadiyah and they, and they said to me, why? And I said, because I learned the secret of good parenting. Don't say 90% of what you want to say. First of all, it's probably destructive. And second of all, they're not going to listen anyway. So speak only 10% as much as you would. You know? And pick your words carefully. You know? Make sure that you're bringing across what you want. And it's, it's so amazing how often we, we look at what we're saying. Is this really what I wanted to say? Is this what I wanted to bring across? You know? We want to tell our children that they're tzaddikim. We want to tell our children how wonderful they are and how good they are and all the things they've done right, you know. And that they've messed up, eh, they mess up. They always mess up. You know? How many people haven't messed up? If you're one of those people who've never messed up, then really, you know, let your spouse do the you know, the main child rearing in your house, you know what I mean? Because when I was your age, I was walking to school three miles in the snow, uphill, both ways. And then I walked uphill and then I walked home uphill. And I just kept Going up the side of the mountain. <laughs> One night they carry me down the mountain, i start over again.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, listen. You know, you, know, you, know, you want to you show a kid that they're stupid, show a kid that they messed up. It's not hard. It's not hard. You know? But to you able to build, and it's more than build, because the word for Jewish education is chinuch. Chinuch comes from l'chaneich, like Chanukah, Chanukah t'abayit means dedication. It means you're bringing our kids up in this nishkan, in this Beit HaMikdash, with a cause, with a purpose. So sometimes people come by my house and they say, wow, well, you have a lot of children. I say, yes, I do. I say, isn't it hard? I said, yes. I said, why do you do it? <laughs> sometimes people come by my house for Shabbos, you know, and I could have 10, 12 people. They say, wow, well, you have a lot of guests for Shabbos. I said, yes. Isn't it hard? Yeah. Then why do you do it? And I realized that people somewhere seem to think the number one commandment is, take it easy. Don't <laughs> oh, you want to knock yourself out forever? I don't want to knock myself out. This is fine. This is enough. You know, That's not the number one commandment. The number one commandment is, live a really exceptional life. And to live a really exceptional life takes effort. You want to have a great marriage? Great marriages don't happen by themselves. They have to be worked at. You have to work at it. You have to care. I had a guy come to me and he says, I don't know what, my wife is so unreasonable. I come home late at night. I'm exhausted. I've been in Manhattan. You know, I come home. I just want to take a shower, have some tea and go to sleep. And my wife wants to talk to me. (laughs) I said, a chutzpah? I said, so inconsiderate. I said, yeah. He says, what should I do? I said, you stick to your guns and you'll see eventually she won't want to talk to you either. (laughs) Now, he knew there was something wrong with that answer, but he wasn't sure what. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound right, you know. I have to tell you, most marriages do not end because of serious problems. The serious problems come up later. Everyone says, you know, I was abused, everybody was abused. You know what I mean? Because everybody's abusive. That's for sure true. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's abusive, you know what I mean? You know, but when when you know, you know this is the reason the marriages fall apart. The reason most marriages fall apart because of neglect. That's all. Just don't invest enough time and the marriage is end. That's all it takes. It just takes not caring. You know? I come home, you know, last year I had a, I had a, I had a day which started at 6.30 in the morning. I'd come home at about uh, 11.15. You know? I didn't want to take a shower and eat supper. I wanted to fall onto my bed in a fetal position and whimper myself to sleep. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but my wife, who was home with my various dysfunctional children, wanted to talk to me. I guess just to round out her day, you know what I mean? Deal with all the dysfunctional people, you know? So I push myself, you know, and I make myself a strong tea, and I stay up because I know it doesn't take much to let a marriage slip away. Just don't care enough. Just don't invest enough time. You want to have a great marriage? You got to work at it. First, you got to know what you want out of life. Then you got to look for a person who shares that. And then once you're there, you got to work at it. You got to invest in a good marriage. You hope it takes time. It takes time and it takes effort, you know, and if you, and if you work at it. So then with each passing year, you can look at a life and a marriage and children where it's a work of art. But it takes effort and it takes time. And if a person really understands that, then a person understands that I'm building the two of us together, a life together, that... I, the, uh, the famous tzaddik in our time... With uh, Levine in Yerushalayim after his wife died. So the taxi driver says to him, he gets in a taxi and he says, No, Beit where's your home? He says, My wife died. I don't have a home anymore. I just have an apartment. I'll tell you how to get there. It's true. You know, if you understand the two of us are building a home, the two of us are building a Mishkan if you understand that all of the Gemara's that deal with the destruction of the Temple are in a Gemara called Gitin, divorce. Because when we and God split up, that's like a marriage gone bad. And when the Ge'ula comes, Then you'll hear in the streets of Jerusalem again the sounds of joy, the sounds of a chatan and a kala, of a bride and a groom. That's Geula. That's when we and God come together. That's a marriage. That's the way a Jewish home is supposed to be. And so, I give my bracha. And uh, I'm a Kohen, so I do this professionally. (laughs) So, uh, I give you a bracha that those of us who are single, should be zayichet to be able to find the right person to be able to build this kind of a home. And those of us who are married should be zayichet to be able to build that beautiful marriage and to be able to see nachas from our children and our grandchildren. Thank you.